He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, December 9, 2023, episode 185. Thanks for joining me once again. Back in the day, June 30, 2012, I was fresh off the better part of a decade, afternoon drive, 630 KHOW, Kaplis and Silverman. I had backed Barack Obama. I thought he could be a great president. I was disappointed that he did not build bridges to the Arab world, speak some truths about the need for reform within Islam. I still believe that's necessary. Maybe it's happening in Saudi Arabia, but I don't really trust Mohammed bin Salman, Mr. Bonesaw, the guy who's trying to corrupt sports and doing it through Donald Trump. No, I don't trust him. Not at all. I wish Barack Obama would have done more. I wish Barack Obama would not have just recently said that the Israelis were occupying Gaza. No, Israel gave Gaza to the Arabs, and the Arabs decided to just use it to inflict terror and hate on the Jews. And that's Hamas. They elected them in on the platform of, we hate the Jews. Could have been Mel Gibson on the right, but it was Hamas on the right, a fascist organization. They hate gays, too. All the worst qualities you get from the far right anywhere, from fascists. That's Hamas, and that's what Israel is up against. And it's not like we haven't seen this coming. In fact, after a skirmish with Gaza, Hamas, and Lebanon, Hezbollah, it was about... I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I went to Israel. I broadcast from Israel. The Jerusalem Post building, my only week in Israel, what a week it was. And I visited Gaza, and I heard the warning sirens. And then I flew to Lebanon, and I saw the Kedush rockets up there. And holy cow, Israel's in the middle of it. And I asked that general about Hey, it seems like a holy war. And he says, we don't say that because those last 100 years, everybody gets killed. Well, Herdfelders is the new leader. Well, he's not actually leader till he forms a government, but he got far and away the most votes his party did. It's a freedom party. Some say it's far right. Some say Herdfelders is the Dutch Donald Trump. But I beg to differ because I read his book. In fact, I've read Trump's book that was ghostwritten, but I read Mark for Death that I'm confident was written by Herod Belders because I said and I, I had lunch with him, the man who just recently became one of the most prominent leaders in Europe at this critical moment. He was brought to Colorado for the Western Conservative Summit. I had been there many times. I talked with my troubadour, our troubadour, Dave Gunders, about that. Gosh, what a great song. 
we have this week's Song of Columbus, which is about a guy from Europe, like Hert Wilders, who's off on an adventure because, heck, let me read from the story In the Nation by a guy named Hans Stichetti, S-T-E-K-E-T-E-E, Hans. He writes about Europe for the nation, and he recently wrote this. From The Hague, it was an outcome that nobody had expected, including the winner. In the national elections in the Netherlands on November 22, one in four voters supported the hard-right populist Herd Wilders, who for more than 20 years has been campaigning against immigration, against Islam, and in favor of a Dutch exit from the European Union. Belder's party, PBB, Party for Freedom, gained 37 of the 150 seats in the Dutch parliament that signifies a breathtaking break from consensus politics in the Netherlands. The three traditional political groups, Social Democrats, Liberals, and Christian Democrats that have governed the Netherlands in varying combinations since 1945, failed to secure even a combined majority in a fragmented parliament in which no fewer than 15 parties will now be represented. Anyway, Herd Wilders is busy trying to put together a government, and people are saying, you're too right-wing. And, uh, of course, for Europeans, he's not woke. For the campaign, some said he moderated, and they called him Herd Milders, M instead of a W. His first name, G-E-E-R-T, and he's got an interesting background. First of all, when I met him, I had lunch with him. I read his book. I introduced him, as you're about to hear, and it was amazing. And I liked him, and he's tall. Svelte, yeah, he was in good shape. If you watch the video, it's in my show notes. You can see me and him interacting. The same height, and I was a good 6'5", I think, back then. I had not started to shrink. This was a while ago. This is when Barack Obama was running against Mitt Romney. And I had supported Obama over John McCain. And as I said, I hoped he could reach out and do great things in the Middle East. But instead, he kind of kowtowed to Iran. I didn't think that was good. Neither did Mitt Romney. And he talked about that, as did Donald Trump later, as did a guy like Herd Wilders. Herd Wilders, who as a youth went and spent a couple of years working in Israel. And he's got some uh, Dutch Indies in him. Some say maybe he tries to disguise the fact that he's uh, maybe one of the swarthy people. And he has that in his blood by putting blonde peroxide in his full head of hair. I don't know. It looks good. I suppose it's not natural. There are all sorts of stories about this guy now. But if you study him a little bit, and I have, he's long been for LGBT rights. He's also been pro-choice. He's pro-Israel, as I discussed. Not worried about him being too pro-Putin because... He visited with Putin a few years back, after he took Crimea anyway, and he seemed to say some things that, well, I'm not, I'm convinced he's not a big supporter of Ukraine, and that bothers me too. Anyway, I don't know everything about Herd Wilders. I had one lunch with him 
But he's now a prominent European leader, and I think it's really instructive to hear what he had to say in Denver, Colorado. Let me tell you how the program got put together back in the day. This was Bill Armstrong's baby. I think Colorado Christian, they formed the Centennial Institute, and John Andrews used to run it before Jeff Hunt. Jeff Hunt, who came to Colorado, first time I was where, as Mitt Romney's campaign guy. Now I know... He went to Cherry Creek and all that. And I know Jeff Hunt. I did not think he'd be a Trump guy. I thought he was a Romney guy. And now Romney is split from Trump, and I think that's good judgment. But the people I used to like, the people at the Western Conservative Summit, something about Donald Trump still appeals to them. John Andrews, I believe he's still on that mega train. Jeff Hunt surely is. And Frank Gaffney, I'm going to put in the show notes, Frank Gaffney is part of this C-SPAN program. C-SPAN has preserved all this. And now it is sort of historic. Frank Gaffney, who worked for Ronald Reagan, he is worried about Islamism, and he talked about it back then. And I think it's apt with Hamas attacking Israel, radical jihad. They even call it Islamic Jihad. That's who kidnapped some of the Israelis. But some people say you can't say that, even though that's their name, Islamic Jihad. Tom Tancredo was always willing to say that, and he said a lot more. And you'll even hear Herod Felders talk about Tom Tancredo before you say, whoa, if he was for Tancredo, he can't be a great guy. Well, I like Tom too, but then he... He and I part company over MAGA, and I part company with a lot of these people. Pamela Geller. My gosh, Pamela Geller, who I saw at Colorado Christian, she speaks out against radical Islam. She'll talk about the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, who was put up in Berlin back in the day by Adolf Hitler. They had a plan to divide the spoils. We wouldn't have this problem. And now we have a big problem with the Palestinians. And Leotard Wilders has a suggestion. You know what it is? That Jordan absorbed the Palestinians. And that is the logical thing to do. And it's now been reported that Henry Kissinger in his last interview talked about that too. It always seemed to us that the Palestinians were put up by people who hated the Jews and wanted to use them as just the sacrificial lambs. There's so much space, territory around there that they could have a nice life if they just wanted peace. Now, Luck Netanyahu's far from perfect. Oh, my God, the mistakes he made, it's disgusting. But we're not talking about him. We're talking about Herd Wilders. And I'm telling you, this guy may become one of the big shots in American and world history. And he came to America, to Colorado. And I was with him and I introduced him. I think you need to understand the times. It was, uh, again, it was going to be a Obama versus Romney and I had switched horses because I thought Mitt Romney was a good man. I still think if we would have elected him, the Republican Party would be so different. America would be back to maybe normal. I don't know, but it didn't happen. It did not happen, but it ended capitalist and Silverman, and then I went on 
to the Craig Silverman show. And can you ask where they had backed Mitt Romney big time, but then they became MAGA, and I lasted five and a half years there. But that's fine. This show is going so strong because I have a body of work that I can call on. Never did I think that Herod Builders would become the major world figure that he has become. But you are going to hear what he had to say and what I had to say introducing him. If you want to go back further, in the show notes is the C-SPAN clip. You can see John Andrews. You can see Frank Gaffney. You can watch me. It's on video. You can see Herd Builders, too, with his big blonde pompadour. But he gave a powerful speech. And this guy has a love of Israel that you don't see in Europe very much. And Europe seems to be going in a bad direction as he wrote and marked for death. And these rallies on the streets of London and other major European cities, and I'm afraid New York, too, are very frightening to Jewish people. And I'd like to see that Herr Filters is our ally and definitely not the Dutch Donald Trump. Not everybody's Donald Trump. I'd like to think that he is sui generis. Isn't that Latin for a kind of unique? I hope so. And I'm being generous to the guy to not curse him right now. But it's not fair to Herod Filters and... It's not fair to anybody to be labeled. Look at me. I switched from Obama to Romney, and then I went for Trump. And I would not even admit that, but I did that on C-SPAN also. Gosh, I voted on the air a lot. That was my custom wait till the last minute. But Trump lost me at Charlottesville. Boy, did he. And I see the racism. I see the bigotry. And I don't think it's good for the Jewish people. I think it's awful for America. And that's why I'm working against Donald Trump. But Herd Builders, let's size him up. Let's give him a chance. Listen to what he had to say in Denver, Colorado. June 30, 2012, pretty much the race had been set. It was going to be Obama versus Romney. And... Before you hear from Herod Builders, of course, you can always skip ahead, but then you miss the best part. We have a debut song from Dave Gunders. I've never played it before on this podcast, and it's like, what the heck, where's this been? It's an amazing song about Christopher Columbus and the imagination of our troubadour Dave Gunders, thinking about Europe. And we talk about his family and how his dad, Henry, who's still alive, almost 100, who had to flee Munich because of the Nazis, that David has more of a connection to Europe than I do, more of a direct connection. I'm not that well-traveled, but I'll say this. I met a guy who's a big shot in Europe, Herd Belders, and I did write to him, inviting him on my show. And with this podcast, maybe I will get him on in the near future. But listen to the guy. He speaks really good English. And I think you will remember him in this show for a long time. So first, Dave Gunders. And by the way, happy Hanukkah. He and I talk about that. What a beautiful holiday. More for the kids than anything else. We've got a big celebration coming up. And so does his family. 
in this perilous time for the Jewish people, we always think what my mom would have said and my dad would have nodded his head. Is this guy good for the Jews? And I think Herd Builders, maybe. I hope he's not a bigot because I do distinguish between immutable characteristic bigotry and we can debate whether me being a Jew or anybody being a Jew is an immutable characteristic. And then religions. And let's not talk about the major ones, but let's talk about something horrible. And if a religion's horrible, can you talk about it being horrible? I think you have to be able to talk about it. A lot of religions have been horrible until they got reformed. My religion has some people who do it in a horrible way, like those West Bank terrorists who would take the law in their own hands saying they had a biblical right to somebody's land. Bullshit. I don't go for that. Anyway, we have to call out our own. Herdfelder says there's a problem in Islam. I thought so as well, and believe me, I don't want to think bad or even about this. But after 9-11, I was curious. Then Ward Churchill, I mean, I've studied this. 9-11 affected me. 10-7 affected me. I hope this show on 12-9 affects you in a positive way. I think it's one of our best. It starts with our troubadour and his amazing song, Song of Columbus. And then we go to Herd Builders with me introducing him at the Western Conservative Summit, June 30, 2012. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Troubadour. Morning, Craig. Happy Hanukkah. And Shabbat Shalom. Same to you. How do you celebrate Hanukkah now that the girls are gone? 
I'm ashamed to say that Hanukkah can blow by pretty quick. Oh, that's not good. No, I've we might some light candles. Yeah, we might light a candle or so, but you know the the dreidel, the singing, and that kind of thing without the girls. See, that's that's just uh, that's a sadness. But why don't you go to a, a menorah lighting? Well, Especially this year. I think it'd be a great idea. Some cities are canceling those for fear of violence, vandalism, upsetting people. Really? Yes. Not good. Not good to cancel. Mainly outside America. That's the focus of our show today. Normally we're all about America, but it seems to me you've got some serious connection to Europe. More than me. Well... My father was born there. Right. My yeah. dad was born in Denver, so was his dad. Yeah. Yeah. No, that whole side of my family came from Germany. How many times have you been to Europe? Oh, uh, maybe just like three times. I've only been there once. It wasn't that great. I went with a girlfriend. She's nice enough, but we did not travel well together. No, yeah. We thought about writing a book. How do have an argument in eight European cities in 10 days. (laughs) But that's how you find out if you're meant for each other, if you can travel together, right? I I suppose that's one test. (laughs) Yeah. Think about that first test of crossing the pond, Christopher Columbus, assuming he was the first. You wrote a song about him. Why did you do it? Yeah, he's in this. Well, I it's we're playing it's, Song it's, of Columbus he's right kind now. Of, it's kind of we're playing Song of Columbus, and it's kind of a love song to the Queen. But it is also about his yearning for the new land. And I don't know, I don't know what got in, into me on that one, Craig. But hopefully, when you it say the Queen, are you? It's a Queen Isabella. Or it's a, Isabella. I was thinking Queen Lisa. Right, Queen Isabella. Right, he's because he's pleading pleading for funds. Right, he needs yes. he needs to be funded to go and. Uh, she holds the keys to his future. What do you know about Chris Columbus? Not very much. That's a good answer, because there weren't a lot of records. But have you heard that he might have been Jewish? No, I have oh, not heard. Oh, come on. Really? I like that. Why? You want to know, know the circumstantial evidence? Jews are not known as you know intrepid explorers. I know, but here's how it's bad right now. He was a colonizer, right? Right, I understand that. I know. We, yeah, we, yeah, they, yeah. they say all you Jews are colonizers. Do they say that? Yeah. Haven't you colonized? I, luckily, I haven't had that kind of conversation with anyone. Well, maybe you need to participate in more pro-Palestinian rallies. No, thanks. Okay, you want to know the circumstantial evidence that Columbus might have been Jewish? Yes. What part of Europe did he come from? So... Chris Columbus was Italian. Okay. And uh, although Isabella was the queen of Spain. Yes. Yes. And, and what part of Italy? Oh, what part of Italy? I don't know. Was he Sicilian? Genoa. Oh, okay. Okay, now Genoa back in the day, that's where Jewish people went when they were persecuted and uh, expelled. So it was a real hotbed of a lot of Jews. So oh. that's one circumstantial evidence. Another is his name. They think it's a variation of Colon, which was in Hebrew or Latin, some kind of Jewish surname. Just like now, they identify us, or at least me, right, by surname. If sure. you are still a Gunderheimer, you too. 
Right. Okay, and then he got along with Convert. So it's what was going on in fourteen ninety two. Right. I mean that was that was close, and I don't know if it was in the in the in in the midst of the Inquisition, but it was in that time frame. Right. He either become Christian or off yes. off with your head, or what did they do? They killed them, or I don't think torture. Yeah, torture and burn, burn. Yes. And yeah, things we don't want to think about. Yeah, but they called them conversos, and right. Columbus had a lot on his voyage. Conversos, it appears. And then I get a kick out of this last bit of circumstantial evidence. They say his navigation techniques and knowledge. Some theories connect Columbus's navigation techniques and his access to maps and information about routes to the New World to potential Jewish networks as Jews were often involved in trade and navigation. Okay. So is it really, that is it true that we don't know much about his history? I mean, as Correct. far as his... his, his, his uh, his lineage, there's his parents. We don't know nothing about that, huh? Correct. Interesting. And there's no definitive evidence one way or the other. So it, it gets debated. I get a kick out of that navigation thing because he did go to the wrong place, which is sort of a Jewish thing. Right. Didn't ask for directions, right? So <laughs> that's, and, a, that's uh, a that's a man thing. Yeah, it could be right. But but uh, we don't know what he did. Before, I mean, what was his? What were what were his? Uh, what was there his weren't trade? Won a lot of newspapers back then. Yeah, he must have been a sailor. He didn't have a podcast either. Captain, you know how you could discover my background? Well, I just did a little experiment, and it's okay. frightening. Okay, especially my wardrobes through the years. On C-SPAN. I've done a lot of things that got memorialized on C-SPAN. They used to come into the studio just like you and I are talking, except we'd have C-SPAN filming us live. And these guys recorded all. So it's all there. Then I got to be a presenter at the Western Conservative Summit. And they'd let me talk for five or 10 minutes. Kind of the designated Jew, you know, here's a guy who's not a Republican, but he's willing to be here. And now he's introducing... I introduced Pat Cadell one year, who is a Democrat, pollster. He's dead now. He worked for Walter Mondale. Then I introduced Herd Wilders, which is the subject of our show. That right, was a Dutch, big one. The Dutch the, president. Is he a president? Is that his, he, his, his title? He is the head of the party that uh, got by far the most votes. Right. A plurality. Yes. But not a majority. So he has to put together a government in the Netherlands. But I sat at a table with him and I talked with him. Yep. And that's what this episode's about. And it's pretty fantastic because of C-SPAN. They preserved it, the whole thing. Yeah. Then I introduced Cory Gardner one year. I got along great with Cory Gardner. But then when he wouldn't call Donald Trump out, right? just like with a lot of my friends, not so much. And then I introduced Ben Carson, and that was probably one of the biggest live audiences I've ever had. The Balco Theater was full. Right. Ben Carson was a real contender then. Yeah. Now he disgusts me because he's re-endorsed Donald Trump, and come on, Dr. Carson. I used to like the guy. I didn't sit at a table with him, but I was in a green room, and you know what he said to me after talking to me a little? What did he say? What kind of an accent do you have? Crazy. Really? 
I mean, I know I have a distinctive voice, but it's in an accent. So what would you say in response to that? Uh, Denver. Denver. Yeah, Denver that's accent. That's what I said. I, I have what a it is. Denver accent. Yeah, although it's usually that's surprising someone would ask because it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a non-accent really, isn't it? Mid, I don't know the what midwestern it is. midwestern is kind of the all right the standard goes, yes probably no accent yeah you don't have an an accent I mean yeah I suppose everything is an accent if you look at it that way but it's not like a your Boston wife has accent. an accent or, yeah she's yeah, a, yeah. a Boston person okay now crowd size does it matter because you're a performer and. Falco Theater, that excited me. The night I did the Paramount Theater with Alan Dershowitz, wow. Right. That was about a 1,000 people, but it was packed. Right. What's the most exciting, crowded venue? You played Folsom Field. That's pretty cool. Right, right, right. We did, but um, yeah, that was for the fireworks. But um, no, so it's not related to uh, crowd size necessarily. I think in in the right situation it would be, but uh, like Folsom Field, we were just kind of, bouncing around down on the field playing our music while everybody was waiting for the fireworks. <laughs> so what's the biggest crowd? Where, so it, the uh, biggest well, crowd, I mean, when, when I was with the Scotterbrains years ago and we were kind of a, uh, you know, a hit in, in, in the Boulder, especially in college, Boulder and Denver too. Um, you know, we did the, uh, you know, Glenn Miller ballroom and, and, uh, you know, we played the, the blue note and the, um, Boulder theater and that kind of thing. So, you know, a thousand people, 1500 people. That's thrilling. Well, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? I look at my C-SPAN and some of these, and I always have, maybe because I'm a swarthy Jewish guy, but I, I feel like there's a little perspiration on my forehead. And then I thought, God, Dave Gunders has solved this, right? Years ago, you came up with wearing a headband on stage. That's right. Yeah. I should have done that. Well, I'm not sure it would be appropriate with a three-piece suit. Okay. How did you come up with that? My headband, I, I started wearing that actually after a friend of mine. He he used to wear it on Saturdays when he was working around the house. He died. His friend, his name was Kim Cunningham, and he was uh, he worked for the United States uh, Geological Survey. He was their caving expert, their resident caving expert. Uh, very smart guy, great explorer. And I, I was lucky enough to go on, on some caving expeditions with him. Uh, he died, um, unfortunately, in his 40s, and... Uh, I started putting on a headband, you know, when I play music on Saturdays because I thought Kim would wear this. So it was a kind of a way of uh, just, I don't know, honoring a friend. That's so cool. And I think about crowd size, just like this podcast. You know, we don't have the reach the Kaplitz and Silverman did back in the day, but I get the same kick out of it. And I've thought about my whole career. Some of my best performances have been in a courtroom with maybe, I don't know, 15 people in it. Right. But that, that meant a lot to me. And sure. then it, then I would be in crowded courtrooms. People would come and I'd, get, I'd say, gosh, I wish more people right. could see. And then I was on court TV and I've done primetime cable. So that's probably millions of people. But it doesn't really matter. You're the performer. I've seen you at, like in Lincoln Roadhouse or wherever. You're, you're still giving your 100%, right? Sure, yeah. And I was going to say, as far as crowd size, what's really important to a, to a performer, I think, is uh, just the overall, the, uh, you know, the vibe of a place. Like, it can be, you, can, you can be in a small bar, say, with 50 people, right, and, uh, and have the time of your life 
a much better time than a bigger venue with more people because it's you know it's 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 small it's it's concentrated all the energy that goes on the dancing and everything and people up by the stage who like it and that uh, that actually has been you know some of the, uh, the the best times smaller venues but but packed. I love this song of yours, Goodbye Columbus, and I love watching you perform and the way you get into it. When people start dancing to your music, like Zydeco, that's got to feel great. Sure, yeah. You came up with the whole thing, and you got people up and dancing, and you got a group playing with you. That's so cool. You're like a Christopher Columbus, because... <laughs> that's a leap. <laughs> no, but to create a new song, it's like a new world. Well, yeah, it's unique. I, I kind of think of songs that way, in, in a way, a, a good song. I kind of think a good podcast that way. Sure, you're it making is. a you record. make your world. You make you're making a world. That's you right. like Ron Weinberg? I did like Ron Weinberg. Yeah, yeah. What I was it? Yeah, I mean, you always give me an, a comment, and I know it's positive because you keep well, coming back. But what? He's an interesting he's, dude. He, he's one of these guys that just really seems to want to be of service to his community, you know, and, and I was impressed the fact that he, uh, he's, uh, he's not even a college guy. Um, he decided, you know, he moved here to Loveland and within months he was, he was involved in the party, you know, the Republican party. And, um, you know, I don't know, vice chairman chair. Anyway, people's people recognize leadership, you know, so he struck me as a leader. And then, and then the most impressive thing I, I think was, uh, when you, when you played his, his speech at the, uh, at, you know, at the, in the, um, uh, in the, in well. the Colorado house yeah. there in the well, um, you know, addressing some of the vitriol that, that was happening. And it was great to know that the Republicans had his back. And yeah. we learned that the Democrats had yep. his front. But for that, Elizabeth Epps, you know, he's on a journey just like you. It's appropriate for that song, Song of Columbus. Herod Builders is on a journey. I hope he's a good man. Yeah. I, I enjoyed having lunch with him. And I thought he said some interesting things which is episode 185 right now but to me the best line of this podcast is you because i like different kind of endings to songs and goodbye columbus the way you end that song for columbus song for called. yeah i'm sorry song goodbye columbus, columbus is no that richard, richard benjamin movie <laughs> yeah, right. right song of columbus so right. long song of columbus yeah do you remember yeah. how you ended it yeah so what happens is he's talking to amerigo vespucci right his 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 uh buddy there in the you know on on his ship and and at the end and at the end of the song he's like hey amerigo you know you see you see something out there to the west right there's they're they're approaching land that shows me you want to be a playwright. You want to write a musical because that would be just right. right. You have dialogue at right. the end of a song. Right. It's kind of dialogue there. Yeah. That's I don't where think, I left them. I don't think you have another song quite like this. No, no. I just uh, kind of rattled that off. Let's let everybody listen. It's sensational. Song of Columbus by Dave Gunders, our troubadour. Thanks, troubadour. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom, Craig. Happy Hanukkah. Back at you.
lawyer I know because he's my lawyer. He's Michael Bailey. I think you pioneered this mobile estate planning and lots of lawyers are doing it now. And boy, are your clients happy and satisfied. It's convenient for the client. It certainly is fun to be able to go visit people where they are, whether it's at your house or at one of the offices, just to make it more convenient for you. And then it's more fun for me because I get to go out and about and meet people all over the place and help them out. What's the website, Michael? It is mobileestateplanning.com. What's the best phone number to call? 
720-394-6887 is my direct line. Michael Bailey, that's our lawyer. Trish loves him. I do too. Thanks, Michael. You're welcome, Craig. Hey, everybody, for all of your legal needs, why not start with me? 734-7156-303-734-7156. I've been practicing law in Colorado for over 42 years, and I know a lot of people. And if I can't do right by you, I can steer you in the right direction. My number, 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims, a voice for people with legal difficulties. Okay, actually what we have here is John Andrews introducing me June 30, 2012. A packed conference room, but lunch was served. I remember that. So it was a lunchtime presentation. And I always like to eat. But then you are sitting with the leader. I didn't know Herod Wilders was going to be so prominent. He should be the next prime minister of the Netherlands if he can put a government together. But a lot of people want to avoid him because he's been canceled. He's brave, though. And I hope he's decent. You will size it up for yourself. But John Andrews, who's former GOP Chairman, former head of the Independence Institute, former state senator. Uh, John Andrews was also the GOP nominee for governor. I knew John Andrews pretty well. He put together Backbone Radio at 710 KNUS, which is now staffed by Matt Dunn, who I know, Dr. Matt Dunn, who is, holy cow, as mag as you can get, fully on board. And I don't understand it. I don't really understand why Frank Gaffney, well, I do. I listen to his podcast, and he said, for the glory of God, Frank Gaffney was part of this program. You can watch him in the show notes, but I omitted him right here to get John Andrews introducing me and me introducing Hart Builders. And without further ado, give a listen. I'm grateful that a friend of Centennial Institute and of last year's Western Conservative Summit is back with us to make the introduction of our guest from the Netherlands. Craig Silverman is known to many of us as one of Colorado's most accomplished attorneys and lawyers. He has been a prosecutor. In a better world, he would have been elected the district attorney of Denver, and Bill Ritter might never have been governor of Colorado. Craig Silverman recently completed a stellar year run of a dozen years as the microphone partner of another good friend of Centennial and the Summit, Dan Kaplis. Afternoons just aren't the same without you on the radio anymore, Craig, so for consolation we bring up now in person, Craig Silverman. What a great honor it is to be here again this year and for this specific purpose. I am a Denver boy, fourth generation, 
And I think all of you know that we lost one of Denver's finest to senseless, stupid gang violence last weekend. Even as we speak, Denver police officer Selena Hollis is being buried at Fairmount Cemetery. And some people in this city don't want to talk about the gang problem around here. But that won't make it go away. Bad things do not go away if you close your eyes and shut your ears. We have to be able to talk about these things, especially about violent bullies and thugs who would hurt us and intimidate us. I was a prosecutor in this great city for 16 years, and I've had the privilege of being a lawyer for over 30 years in Colorado. I treasure the rule of law not Sharia law. I was blessed to do that radio show, Capless and Silverman. Some of you might wonder what happened. Well, in the words of Tom Coburn, we got term limited, okay? I am not a Republican, but after watching what's gone on for a while now, I'm surely not a Democrat anymore. I am not all that conservative, but I come in all humility to you conservatives for confession and forgiveness. I voted for Barack Obama, and I can't deny it. I would if I could, but I did it on live radio, and C-SPAN, too, was in the studio that day. I thought Barack Hussein Obama was ideally situated to speak simple truths to the Islamic world. And I would think that a lot of people in that world would understand their need for change. But he wouldn't do it. He did not do it, and he will not do it. He proved that in Cairo and hundreds of other ways since then. Even though I still have my severe doubts about John McCain, I apologize to you. It won't happen again. As I had to admit to my radio partner, Dan Kaplis, okay, you were right about Barack Obama, but I was right about Mel Gibson. <laughs> the economy is the number one issue for most people in this upcoming election. But to me, the bigger issue is national security and our very survival. I can no longer defend Barack Obama, especially on those most important issues. Number one, the safety of America. Number two, I worry about the safety of the Jewish state of Israel. I have the pleasure of reading a lot of books, but no book has affected me more dramatically in the last couple of decades than this book that you were all given, Marked for Death. It's an amazing book. It captured my attention from first to last. Herod Felders is a brave man. He refuses to be intimidated. He is a profile in courage. So are a lot of people that you've had the pleasure to meet, like Pam Geller, 
and Robert Spencer and Frank Gaffney and Senator John Andrews. But Herod Builders, his life experience is extraordinary. Just like I'm a Denver boy, he's a Dutch boy, and now quite a man, quite a political leader, and I think he is a truth teller. I love freedom of speech, so does Herod Builders. His book, Mark for Death, is all about that, and he brings a perspective that we don't have. He's from Europe. He's seen what's gone on there. He knows what's going on in the Middle East, and it's great that he worries about America. I'm excited to hear from Herod Builders. What an honor. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Herod Builders. Thank you, Craig, for your most kind words. Thank you, friends, ladies and gentlemen, for inviting me to this Western Conservative Summit. For me, it's always an honor and a privilege to come to America. I was here a few weeks ago to meet with my dear friend, uh, Michelle Bachmann, representative um, of you to talk, to talk about indeed the threat of Islam both to America and Europe. And today I'm very proud to be in Denver, the gateway to the West. This is, as I see it, America's heartland, conservative heartland, where the spirit of your pioneers still lives. And I know, I know that I come at a sad moment. Many of you have been affected by the enormous wildfires raging not far from here. Thousands have been evacuated and some of them are even staying, as I heard, in this hotel. And few things, ladies and gentlemen, few things are as terrible as losing your homes. And I want to express my deepest sympathy with all the people affected by this disaster. And I want to offer my condolences to the families and friends of those who have lost their lives in the fires. And I am impressed, I am impressed by the solidarity and the help which the people of Denver extend to the victims. You live in a great and generous city. Denver is also privileged to be the home of the Colorado Christian University and the Centennial Institute with its motto, Faith, Family and Freedom. Your motto shows that you have your priorities right. Faith, family, and freedom are indeed the pillars of our Judeo-Christian civilization and need to be defended. I feel honored to have been here invited to address you today 
about the situation in Europe, and in particularly in my own country, the Netherlands. And this situation serves as a warning in what might happen to America if you fail to be vigilant. As U.S. President Andrew Jackson so rightfully said, and I quote, remember, my fellow citizens, that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty and that you must pay the price if you wish to secure the blessing." End of quote. But first, let me start by introducing myself. I am one of the 150 members of the House of Representatives in the Netherlands, a small country of almost 17 million people in Western Europe. I am the leader of the Party for Freedom, and my party is the third largest of 11 parties represented in the Dutch Parliament. And perhaps many of you think that the life of this politician in the Netherlands resembles the life of the members of your own Congress. Unfortunately, that is not the case. For the past eight years, I have been living under 24-hour police protection. Wherever I go, plainclothes policemen go with me. I live in a government safe house, heavily protected and bulletproof. I am driven every day again from my safe house to the Dutch Parliament building in armored police cars with flashing blue lights. I have not walked the streets on my own in the last eight years. And when I occasionally go to a restaurant or to a movie theater, the police will have to check everything out. My wife and I have lived in prison cells, in army barracks, just to be safe from assassins. And why? Why do I need this protection. I'm not a president or a king. I'm a mere parliamentarian. I have, however, been marked for death for criticizing Islam. I was placed under police protection in early November 2004 when an Islamic fanatic murdered the Dutch filmmaker Theo van Gogh because he had criticized Islam. Van Gogh was slaughtered on broad daylight in the streets of Amsterdam. And a few hours later, the police found a letter written by the assassin threatening to kill me as well. What have I done, you might ask, to deserve those kind of death threats? What I did is candidly express my view about Islam. My view, in a nutshell, is that Islam, rather than a religion, is predominantly a totalitarian ideology striving for world dominance. I believe that Islam and freedom are incompatible. Some people... <laughs> some people do not want to hear this message. 
And that is why they threaten people and to murder everyone who states this truth. And I'm not the only one who has been marked for death. You all know the British author Salman Rushdie or the Scandinavian cartoonists Kurt Westergaard or Lask Wilkes, who all have been victim of assassination attempts. However, if you really love freedom, you have to speak the truth. And if not, we will all fall victim to Islam. Like earlier, the people in the Middle East, in Northern Africa, in Persia, in India, and in Indonesia fell victim to it. And that is why I spoke, why I speak, and why I will continue to speak whatever the consequences. I do not want Europe nor America to become Islamic. Before I continue, I want to make clear that I do not have a problem with Muslims. There are many moderate Muslims. I always make a distinction between the people and the ideology, between Muslims and Islam. There are indeed many moderate Muslims. But believe me, there is no such thing as a moderate Islam. There is only one Islam, and that is a dangerous totalitarian ideology that is intolerant, that is violent, that should not be tolerated by us, but that should be contained. And in Europe, ladies and gentlemen, in Europe today, we are experiencing that Islam becomes stronger, becomes stronger every day in our societies, even when the majority of the Muslims are moderates. Even then, our societies become less free and more intolerant of non-Muslims. And former Congressman Tom Tancredo, a native and inhabitant of this great city, whom I visited in his office in Washington in late 2008. Tom once said, and then he referred to Miami, and I quote, look at what happened to Miami. It has become a third world country. You would never know that you were in the United States of America. You would certainly say that you're in a third world country, end of quote. And the same that my friend Tom Tancredo said before about Miami, the same applies to Europe today. Certain parts of our inner cities, many of our inner cities, no longer look like Europe. They look like suburbs of Cairo, of Rabat, of Algiers, of Damascus, of Mecca. And as the Muslim concentration population is concentrated in urban areas, many European cities have very large Islamic concentrations. And the consequences are today that we are confronted with headscarves, with burqas, with polygamy, with female genital mutilation, with honor killings, every day again and again.
And during the last three decades, Europe made a fatal mistake. It allowed millions of people from Islamic countries to immigrate to our continent. And so many people rooted in a culture that is entirely different from our own Judeo-Christian culture have entered Europe that our heritage, that our freedom, that our prosperity and that our culture is in danger. And perhaps many Americans still believe that Europe is the place they know from a tourist trip long ago or from their grandparents' stories. I have to disappoint you, this Europe, this Europe is on the verge of disappearing. In each one of our cities, wrote the Italian author Oriana Fallaci shortly before she died in the year 2006, in each one of our cities, there is a second city, a state within the state, a government within the government, a Muslim city, a city ruled by the Koran, end of quote. And perhaps many Americans see immigration as something which is inherently good for a country, since I know it contributed in the past so much to the United States. But while most of the former immigrants to the United States came from Europe, a continent with the same Judeo-Christian heritage and roots, Europe contemporary immigrants do not share, do not share our common roots. On the contrary, the Islamization of our society today in Europe is undermining that same Western Judeo-Christian values. And I'm not talking about the threat of terrorism, of violence alone. There is also the phenomenon of non-violent jihad. Europe's increasingly assertive Islamic lobby has successfully pressured European politicians into implementing pro-Islamic policies and adopting elements of Islamic Sharia law. And the numbers of people who organize their lives according to Islamic requirements is growing, especially amongst younger people. Let me give you a few numbers. Among 15-year-old German Muslims, 40% today, 40% consider Islam more important than democracy. Among Muslim university students in Great Britain, 40% support Sharia, and one in three of those students today consider it legitimate to kill in the name of Islam. And the rise of Islam also means the rise of Sharia in our judicial systems. In Europe today, we have Sharia courts, we have Sharia wills, we have Sharia rules, we have Sharia um, banks, we have it all. And the introduction of elements of Sharia law in our societies indeed create a system of legal apartheid. Sharia law systematically discriminates groups of people. And let me give you some examples of what is happening in Europe today. 
Britain, a lot of people don't know that, Britain has today around 60 official Sharia courts. And one of these courts settled an inheritance dispute involving a man whose estate had to be divided between his children. And that court, that Sharia court in Britain, gave the sons twice as much as the daughters in accordance with the Quranic pronouncement that a woman is only worth half of a man. And in my own country, the Netherlands, Sharia is being applied. I know it's hard to believe, but sadly, it's very true. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a disgrace. In our civilization, men and women are equal before the law. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, please make no mistake. Islam is also coming to America. Indeed, it has already arrived. Your country, too, is facing a stealth jihad, an Islamic attempt to introduce Sharia law hit by bit by bit. Islam demands already in America today separate camping housing for Muslims. Islam demands that women have separate hours in gyms and swimming pools. Schools in America today are banning Christmas celebrations, are taking pork off their cafeteria menus to avoid offending Muslim students. And courts, even in America, there are examples in Florida, the land, even in America, have begun to apply Sharia law. And be aware that this is only the beginning. If we do not stop the Islamization, we will lose everything that we stand for, everything that we fought for. Our constitutional state, our freedom, our civilization. And in Europe, already today, we are losing the right of free speech, the right to criticize Islam. And what we need my friends, this perhaps is my most important message to you today. What we need is a spirit of resistance. Resistance to evil is our moral duty. And this resistance begins with expressing our solidarity to all Christians, all Jews, all non-Muslims, all Muslim apostates, in fact, all people who are the victims of Islam. And we can see, we can see what Islam has in store for us if we watch the faith of the Christians in the Islamic world today, such as the Copts in Egypt, the Maronites in Lebanon, the Assyrians in Iraq, the Christians elsewhere, such as the brave people, the brave Christians in Nigeria. Almost every day, churches are arsoned and Christians are assassinated in Islamic countries. Even in so-called moderate countries as Turkey or Indonesia, Christians face discrimination and humiliation on a daily basis. And the cause the cause of all this Christian suffering 
is Islam. Rivers of tears are flowing from the Middle East, where there is only one, only one safe haven for Christians. And indeed, this only one place in the Middle East where Christians are safe to be is the state of Israel. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that is why Israel deserves the support of Christians worldwide. As a matter of fact, Israel is the canary in the coal mine. If Israel cannot exist in peace, none of us can. Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. It's a safe haven for everyone. It's a beacon of light in an area of total darkness. And if Israel falls, ladies and gentlemen, if Israel falls, everybody will feel the consequences. As a matter of fact, Israel is fighting our fight. Mothers in the West, Mothers in the West can sleep safely at night because Israeli mothers at night worry about their sons in the army because they are fighting our fight. And that's why I say that we all are Israel. We should all support Israel because Islam's so-called holy war against Israel is in fact a war against all of us. Ladies and gentlemen, in March 2008, I released Fitna, a 15-minute documentary about the Koran and the threat of Islamization in the Netherlands. And while at that time I was invited by Senator John Kyle to show Fitna in the U.S. Senate, the screening of my movie was banned by the European Parliament. The British government even barred me from entering the United Kingdom on the day that I was invited to show Fitna in the House of Lords. And later in that same year, later in 2008, leftish, liberal and Islamic organizations in the Netherlands brought me to court over Fitna, this documentary. They accused me of group insult and incitement to hatred and discrimination. I was prosecuted in my own country for merely stating my opinion about Islam. Fortunately, I was acquitted on all charges. <clears throat> But the legal ordeal lasted almost three years. Imagine a member of parliament having to deal with a court case for three years. That's a lot of time and energy. And the court finally acquitted me because I had criticized Islam and not Muslims. And because, as an elected politician in a public debate, I was entitled to greater freedom of speech than normal citizens in the Netherlands, which, of course, is totally wrong. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, dear friends, it is important that we realize how the West got into this present situation. 
It's partly our own fault because we have foolishly adopted the ideology of multiculturalism. And when I say multiculturalism, I refer to cultural relativism, the biggest disease of political correct Europe and perhaps even America today. <laughs> multiculturalism or cultural relativism is the crazy idea that all cultures are equal. But of course, cultures are not equal. I am proud to say, I'm not ashamed, but I'm proud to say that our culture that is based on Christianity, on Judaism and humanism is far better, yes, is far superior to the Islamic culture. <clears throat> we should not be afraid, but we should be proud to say so. Ladies and gentlemen, cultural relativism, this disease, the political correct disease, is weakening the West day by day. Government leaders, lawyers, judges, churches, trade unions, media, academia, charities, all of them are blinded by political correctness and are condoning Islam. And as a result of this cultural relativism, a little bit of the free West, we should realize it every day again, a little bit of the free West dies every day. Multiculturalism is a disaster. Multiculturalism has been such an enormous catastrophe because it has been a tool to promote Islam, an ideology that threatens our core values such as tolerance. Multiculturalism has made us open our borders to those who cannot be assimilated. It made us tolerate the intolerant, and now intolerance is annihilating tolerance. And ladies and gentlemen, we should, in the name of tolerance, claim the right, claim finally the right not to tolerate the people who are intolerant to us anymore. We should, in the name of self-preservation, not allow those who refuse to assimilate to our values, not to their values, but to our values, to enter our countries anymore. <clears throat> my, dear, my dear friends, I'm not a pessimist. We can still turn the tide, even in Europe, if we act today. And there are four measures that we must take. First, perhaps the most important, we must tell people what is at stake. In Western Europe, freedom of speech is being restricted at the demand of the friends of Islam and their collaborators. If Christianity in Europe today, if someone insults Christianity, it's called a form of art. But if someone criticize Islam, it's called hate speech. That is 
the reality today. And there is reason for concern if the erosion of our freedom of speech is the price we must pay to accommodate Islam. There is reason for concern if those who deny that Islam is the problem do not grant us the right to debate the issue and speak the truth. And this is our first and most important obligation. Defend the right to speak what we see as the truth. That is why we in Europe need to follow America's example and introduce a European First Amendment. But once we have the right to speak, once we have the right to speak the truth, we need to use that right. The letter is also a message to you in America. Speak the truth, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's not politically correct, even if the liberal media will kill you, even if you receive death threats. The truth can and may never be compromised. Second, we must, as I said, end cultural relativism. We should not be afraid to say who we are and to know and to say who we are not. We must proudly proclaim that our Judeo-Christian values are better and superior than the Islamic values. Thirdly, we should stop the Islamization process. More Islam means more intolerance and more Sharia and less freedom. We must stop the immigration from Islamic countries. We must expel criminal immigrants. And last but not least, we should forbid the construction of new mosques. There is Islam. There is enough Islam in the West already. And fourth, we must take pride in our nations again. We must demand that immigrants accept our values and not the other way around. What we call home, ladies and gentlemen, what we call home is more than just a place on the map. It is our belonging to a community of values, a community of ideas and ideals. And my friends, you and I, Americans and Europeans, we belong to a common Western culture. We share the values and ideals of our common heritage. And in order to preserve our nations and our homes, and in order to pass our heritage onto our children, in order to survive, we must stand together. Otherwise, we will be submerged in a uniform nation of Islam, and this is what we do not want to happen. So we must defend our civilization. Ronald Reagan said that the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. And Reagan 
was right. President Reagan was right. We must be brave or we will be swamped by totalitarianism. It's indeed a constant struggle that we are into to preserve our faith, our family, our freedom. But we owe it to our children. And this is why I believe that we must stand firm. We will not submit to Islam, never. We will survive with our own ideology, with our own Judeo-Christian heritage. We will defend our values. We will speak the truth. And why will we speak the truth? Because we stand for the truth and because the truth will set us free. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Take a couple of questions. Sure. Geert Wilders. Geert Wilders. You will long remember, you will long remember this afternoon at Summit 2012 when this man of courage, this hero of freedom and of Western civilization came across the Atlantic to bear his witness and give his warning. Bravo, Hirt Builders. This good and brave man who shrinks from absolutely nothing does not shrink from your questions, of course. If we can bring the lights up and go to the microphone so that those watching on TV or the internet can be in the conversation, please identify yourself and we'll take just a few questions. Who's first? Me. Please. <laughs> You have the floor. I'm not seeing you. Over here. Over here. This side. Please. Uh, Joe from ACT for America. Uh, we as ACT, we always do the same exactly like you're doing, which is I felt, I felt myself talking over there. So I know what you feel and I know what happened because I'm from Lebanon. Now, uh, we are seeing uh, mosques in this country growing like mushrooms. Now, the biggest mosque, by the way, for everybody, is coming to Fort Collins. The biggest mosque in middle America, into Fort Collins. Now, what do you think we have to do to stop building these mosques other than resistance? Well, like I said, um, and I fully, um, um, let me start with that, I fully, I have a lot of respect for ACT, uh, uh, for America. It's a very good and strong organization with Gabrielle heading it. Um, the first thing people should do is educate people what a mosque stands for. A lot of people think that A, Islam is a religion and not a violent ideology, 
and people believe that the mosque is something like a lot of people believe the mosque is something like like a church or a synagogue. Well, we know that it is not. So educate people what the mosques, what the Islam stands for. This is A. B. What you should do, and this perhaps is the most important and most difficult thing to achieve, is elect politicians that are brave enough to say enough is enough. No more mosques in my constituency. It's the most important thing to do, which doesn't mean that it will be realized tomorrow, but it's a very important step. And like I said, those politicians or those organizations like Act for America will get a lot of people being very nasty, a lot of journalists saying the most terrible things. People, Muslim organizations will perhaps even take you to court being in intimidated. It's called the legal jihad, the legal warfare, to silence people who try to stand up and speak the truth about no more mosques or no more Sharia law whatsoever. Please continue. It's the only way to fight the process of Islamization in our societies. Thank you. Over here, please. Pastor Heidi McGinnis, Christian Solidarity International. Herzlich willkommen, Herr Wilders. For over nine years, I have been going into South Darfur um, with South Sudanese Underground Railroad, negotiating the release of Christian slaves and others. Jihad is very real. And I think we need to be more than vigilant. I think we need to be proactive. I, I'm not sure that many of you in this room knew that jihad was declared in um, 1983 against the primarily Christian South. To this day, 35,000 men, women, and children are still enslaved in Darfur, in Kordovan, and in the North. Uh, although Omar Hassan al-Bashir is wanted by the ICC, this, um, this administration has not delegitimatized a genocide there who is conducting not only a, a genocide in Darfur and in Cordovan currently for a year and in the Blue Nile region and I suspect the Beja people will be next but actually perpetrated that against the Christian South for 23 years before it became free. We must be more than vigilant. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, how well, here, maybe, comment, maybe I want to comment shortly because I, of course, fully subscribe to everything the pastor uh, said. But um, there is one more thing we can do, and this is what I also describe in my book, Marked for Death, is that there is an organization, a very dangerous but powerful international organization called the OIC, the Organization of Islamic Conference. Um, tens of Islamic countries subscribe to that organization. As a matter of fact, this OIC is the largest voting bloc in the United Nations today. And this OIC made a declaration about human rights in Cairo, the so-called Cairo Declaration. And this organization states in this Cairo Declaration that all human rights are limited to Sharia law. And this is why 
um, in um, Sudan and in many other countries, uh, Christians or Jews or others or non-Muslims uh, are being harassed or killed. So what I propose is that how can it be that in 2012 that the largest voting bloc in the United Nations is contains of countries, member states of the OIC that say that, that rights, human rights are limited to the Sharia law. What we should do is that we should kick all the OIC countries out of the United Nations tomorrow. Give an example. And this is the only language they understand. If you discuss with them, it is seen as weakness. We should act, not talk, but act. And as long as, long as they are not, if there is not a majority, as long as there are not countries brave enough to send them out, to expel them from the United Nations, we free Western countries like America and Holland should not pay one cent of contribution to the United Nations. Yes, please do stand and once again recognize our magnificent guest, our brother who loves freedom and loves God from across the Atlantic, Dutch parliamentarian, our hero, Heert Wilders. Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like, I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on, this, on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. 
Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Well, hey now, I think that was the show as promised. A European leader interacting with me. Go to the show notes. See that we are the same height. I think I have him, but with his pompadour, maybe not. And if you read up on this guy, he's got a fascinating background. And he's lived through hell, security threats that we don't need in the West. That's the point of his book, Mark for Death. Take a read of that. It was really fascinating to me. I think you might be intrigued. Just don't write him off as the Dutch Donald Trump. It's deeper than that. Next week is another special show, and I really appreciate you tuning in. Tell a friend, subscribe, share. Five stars would be really fine. How often do you get to hear a European leader speaking in Denver, Colorado about the most important issues of the day? You hear it on my podcast. Proud to present it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.